This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 274, and we are recording on March 29th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. It is third winter here in Virginia, <coughs> which is a bummer. Is that a thing? It is. It's our final winter. We have, like, actual winter, then false spring, then, like, second winter, then false spring number two, and now we are in third winter. And then we'll be the great pollening, and then it will be summer. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, that's, and that's spring in Virginia, and that's how that works. But it's real cold, and I'm grumpy about it. Oh, it's not real cold here. It's more actually, last week we had like fake summer. Uh, It was like 70 degrees and upwards. Uh, But this week it's more actual springish temperatures, 50s. So we're, I guess we're in sort of spring. I don't even know. I don't know. We're in something. Vitamin D. Yeah. So real. All right. Welcome to the Weather Channel. No. Um, (laughs) So this is a show for personalized reading recommendations, as I said. If you would like one of those reading recommendations, you can send your request to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or drop it in the form in the show notes on the site. It can be for you or for, you know, a gift that you're giving to someone or a book club, whatever, whatever you like. Any and all recommendation requests are welcome. Um, We ask for your email because if your question is time sensitive, we might email you back if we're not going to get to it or if we've already answered it. If it is time sensitive, please put that in the subject line if you use the email. If you use the form, just put it in big all caps uh, in the first line so we can see it and get to it on time. We don't have any feedback this week because we're recording a bit early. So Jen is going to read our first question and away we will go. All right. Our first question is also from a Jen (laughs) who says, I need some help finding a nonfiction book for my book club. We try to alternate between fiction and nonfiction. And every month we try to pick something from a genre we haven't read before. The past two books that were big nonfiction hits were Hollywood Park by Michael Jollett and Infused Adventures in Tea by Henrietta Lovell. Preferences. Would prefer the book be by a BIPOC or LGBTQIA plus author. Would prefer a fairly recently published book as we found that books more than three years are harder to find at the local library. We have a pretty big book club, so we need lots of copies. Any help you can give would be deeply appreciated. There's so many book clubs doing nonfiction right now. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so nice. Uh, all right. So before we give our next round of book club nonfiction picks, let us do a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. 
Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Amanda, you picked a book <laughs> that I read and loved and wish I had done with a book club. So why don't you talk about that? Okay. Um, I picked Ordinary Girls by Jakira Diaz, which... It was our my, my book club's last pick was our like oh. our last read before we shut it down uh, for COVID. So when we get back together sometime in the near future, we will be discussing this book. And I will give trigger warnings for this for domestic violence, sexual assault, and harm to children. So this is a memoir, and Yakira Diaz grew up in Puerto Rico and then moved with her family eventually to Miami Beach and had a very upsetting <laughs> childhood and also adulthood it's just all very upsetting but her writing is so like funny and wry and she has such a great perspective on everything that happened to her so her father who was like her hero when she was a little girl was actually a like fairly well-known drug dealer and her mother has schizophrenia and was an alcoholic and was like in and out of jail um and so when her parents her parents got divorced when she was when they were living in puerto rico after some of his like drug dealing enemies broke into their house and and uh like held a gun to everybody said the pair her parents split up and so she lived with her brother who was very physically abusive to her like very physically abusive and her dad and her dad kind of went on about his life and left the kids to fend for themselves. Sometimes her mom would show up when she was having like an episode and take them to her apartment, which was always very traumatic. There were grandparents involved. Eventually, they moved to the U.S. and to Miami Beach. But nothing really changed because, you know, it's the same cast of characters. So how much is, is really going to be different? So she's weaving all of these like very personal traumatic stories in with Puerto Rico and its history of colonialism and how that has engendered a lot of poverty in Puerto Rico and how that what all of that has to do with how she was eventually brought up. She joins the military eventually. She's just her life is a ride. Like, whoo, <laughs> it's a complete roller coaster. The choices that she makes are very like, mm, you're going to get arrested. And then guess what? She gets arrested. She gets arrested a lot. But you are just here. You're like so here for like, yes, I also would have punched her. I also would have punched that girl. You know, it's one of those you're you're just on her side the whole time. You can't help but be on her side, even when she's doing stuff that is confusing, but human. So yeah, rough read, but very engaging and lots to talk about. So that's Ordinary Girls by Jakira Diaz. 
Yeah, such a good, strong, intense read. Mm. That one. <laughs> Woo. All right. I also picked an intense read. It's <laughs> History of My Brief Body by Billy Ray Belcourt. And I wish I had been able to read this with a book club, which is why I'm picking it for you. Uh, content warnings for racism and homophobia. Belcourt is an indigenous and queer person who is, you know, targeted for all kinds of discrimination and marginalization based on that thing. He lives in Canada. And this is very much a book about what it is like to grow up as, you know, native and gay in Canada and, you know, be the object of so much gaze in so many different ways. It's really, really well done. And what's so interesting to me about this book as well is that it is both very personal and like has lots of anecdotes and stories from his own life in it. But he also really digs into the theory around like intersectional feminism and, you know, racialization and colonialism. And there's just so much great chewy, chewy food for thought in here. Like there were passages where I was like, I'm going to have to read that a couple of times because mm. it's been a minute since I got that deep into theory in my nonfiction. But then the next, you know, chapter would be like his dating escapades. And like some of that was <laughs> funny and some of that was less funny um, and some of it was pretty rough. But like it's a it's a really interesting book because he is just I mean, one hopes we are all 360 degree people, but this is a 360 degree book like he's doing all of it all the time. And it's really, really, really I mean, it was I picked it for my favorite book of 2020. Was that what year it was? What year? What, what is time? Year yeah. Whatever year it came out, I picked it as my favorite book of that year. And I do really wish that I had been able to do it with book club because I like made notes. I was, you know, there were quotes in here that I still am thinking about. It's just such an, a really good and I think a really necessary read. So again, that's A History of My Brief Body by Billy Ray Belcourt. All right, question two is from Anonymous, who says, Recently I found myself reading a lot of books that span a large number of years and include aging or the circle of life as a semi-major component. For example, I just finished The Vanishing Half. However, with not seeing my family for far too long and grappling with living as an adult on my own for the first time and my grandparents being minutes away from death, sorry to unload, it's been one of those pandemics, these books have been giving me bad existential feelings. What I'm looking for is the antithesis of this, books that take place in the shortest amount of time, a week, a day, an hour, if possible. No births, deaths, or major life transitions, please. Basically, anything that will make me feel like I, too, can freeze my life in a singular moment in time. Okay, well, I'm sorry that you are having to deal with all of that all at once. That is a lot. I picked 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas by Marie-Helene Bertino, which takes place over a 24-hour period. Well, actually, over like a 12-hour period. No. 16. I'm guessing. Like, I'm just making up numbers now. It's less than a day. It starts in the morning and then ends in the, like, late, early morning of the next day or next night. There is a death that happens before the book, but it's not, like, on the page or anything. So the main character is Madeline. She's a little girl who lives in Philadelphia and is very, very precocious. She's nine years old. And she wants to be a jazz singer. She lives with her dad. Her mother has recently died. And her dad is just kind of hung up in his grief and his own story with that. And so Madeline is very much being, you know, left to kind of deal with it herself. It's Christmas Eve, and she goes to a Catholic school where she is dealing with some bullying, like some of the kids are teasing her. Um, she also uh, wants to like sing in the Christmas Eve show for her school. She, she, you know, she wants to be a jazz singer, but that opportunity is not coming as easily as, as um, 
She thinks it, it should. So she ha- goes on a search for the Cat's Pajamas, which is a legendary jazz club where her mom sang in Philadelphia. And she's going to make her onstage debut, right? Like she's going to find this. She's this place. She's going to sing. She's going to prove that she has what it takes. This is the thing that she's decided to do. So her and then her teacher, Serena, who has just moved back to Philadelphia after getting divorced um, and is about to go to a dinner party that is going to reunite her with the guy that she had a crush on in high school. So she's doing this whole like my life might start over again. Like maybe this is my chance to go back and do something differently. And then the other main character we're following is Lorca, who owns the cat's pajamas, is the owner of this club and has real has found out that like, you know, he knows he's got financial difficulties, but he's found out that like the club is going to close forever. Like this is probably his last night unless he comes up with 30 grand to save it. And so these three people are dealing with their own, you know, stuff and you just follow them through their day. And then at the end of the night or the not the end of the night, the beginning of the night. Um, near the end of the book, they all kind of convene on on the cat's pajamas and you watch them, you know, meet and all of these storylines come together and problems are solved or not solved. Um, it's just very heartwarming and short. You know, it's it's under 300 pages, takes place in that really abbreviated time frame. And since it's like, since it is a Christmas novel, it, it does have that kind of snow globe feeling. Like all of these people are in this snow globe that I am holding and this is frozen and this is the thing. Like this is a moment in time. Like it, it very much gives that kind of feeling. So that's 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas by Marie Helene Bertino. Such a nice book. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time with this question because it turns out that most of these short time span books I know are like about super traumatic things. Like mm-hmm. they're really intense. So I'm giving you one that's a little bit on spec. It's Today Will Be Different by Maria Semple, because it seemed to me that what you wanted was something more on the fun side, given what else is going on, which is legit. And I have loved Maria Semple's other work. I have not read this one yet, but uh, it all does take place in the course of a single day. And it's about a woman named Eleanor Flood, who is like a mom and, you know, a housewife. And things are sort of, you know, the standard level of bad. Like, (laughs) but today she's like, I'm going to do all the things like I'm going to get up. I'm going to get dressed. I will, you know, go do yoga. I maybe even will like canoodle with my husband. Like things are gonna I just want to have like a good day. And of course, The day explodes. You know, one of her kids is like faking sick. And then her husband is like calling out on vacation from the office, but they're not on vacation. Like what's going on? And then, you know, there's like family secrets that come to light. And uh, it's very much about like, yes, family and sisterhood. And, you know, how do we like cope with all of the different versions of ourselves And also just the minutia of daily life. And this one is like maybe a little bit controversial because people either love or hate Eleanor. Like she's, you know, one of those quote unquote unsympathetic narrators. Like she's going to make choices that you maybe are not going to agree with and like behave in ways that are, you know, maybe a little bit absurd or like extremely human. But I find that sort of like even when you're uncomfortable, you're like, ah, it's it's funny because it's real. Also, mm-hmm. ouch, you know, like I dig that. And so maybe you do, too. <laughs> but like that's your warning about the type of humor that this is going in. Uh, so, again, that's today will be different by Maria Semple. All right. Our next question is from Emily, who says, let's see, it is a long question. I'm going to try to sum it up a bit. So Emily says, I'm 22 and have been in a relationship with my current boyfriend for almost three years. We moved in together in September. Things were great until a few months ago. He just seems distant. 
And I try to ask him if something has changed or bring up the fact that, you know, things are different. But he says everything is the same. I asked my mom. She says you deserve better. I've recently met a lot of people online. I made friends with this guy who got out of a relationship. He's really attractive and so nice to me. And I don't know if I'm just crushing on him because I'm not getting the attention I deserve in my current relationship or because there's actually something there. Am I just into him because I've always been a huge fan of the friends to lovers trope? I don't know. (laughs) Please suggest me books that will help me figure this out. Maybe books about potential breakups or finding someone new and realizing you already have what you need or that you don't. Anything, please. Bonus points for Canadian lit and Franco-Canadian representation. Thanks for being my therapists. (laughs) (laughs) This is a whole mood, this question. Emily, Uh. good luck with your decision making. So I I'm just going to keep talking here. I I I don't have you. You kind of (laughs) seemed like you wanted fiction, but I am not giving you fiction. I am giving you nonfiction that I think will help you with the real crux of this matter, which is that you need to figure out what it is that you want out of a relationship, which is so much easier said than done. Right. Like that's that is always the hardest thing to figure out. But a book that has really helped me in all of my relationships, like family relationships, friend relationships, romantic relationships, is The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. Because this book is about like how to own who you are. And you need to know who you are before you can figure out what it is that you want out of your relationships, because you need to know what you can bring to them and then what it is that you want back from people. And there's so much judginess, like just in the air, in the water that surrounds us all the time, especially for women. It, you know, we like need to present everything a very certain way or else we feel like we're doing it wrong. And so Brown is a sociologist and she has done all of these surveys with women to try to figure out like, yeah, how do you let go of these like shamings that society is, you know, forcing upon you and figure out who you are and how you want to belong in the world and what that looks like for your relationship. So this is yeah, this is not like, you know, a story about somebody figuring out their relationship in the context of a specific relationship. This is about figuring out who you want to be and then how you want to be in the world, which I think is got to be super helpful. Like you got to start with yourself in relationships is my take on it. So again, that's The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. Mm. Okay. I I picked Exciting Times by Noesi Dolan. And this was long listed for the Women's Prize, which is why I picked it up. I hadn't heard anything about it um, before that. Uh, But it is about an Irish woman who is 22. Her name is Ava. She leaves Ireland and moves to Hong Kong to like figure out what to do with herself. She starts teaching English as a second language. She meets a man named Julian, who's a British banker working in Hong Kong, who is very posh and like went to Oxford. And she grew up very poor in Ireland. And he makes a lot of money and she makes zero (laughs) dollars. Not literally zero, but it might as well be. And they become romantically involved, even though they hate each other, and but also like each other a lot. Like, it's complicated. There's a lot of class stuff happening here. Like, she likes to quote Marx at him to get on his nerves, you know? <laughs> and she takes his money. Like, he leaves her, he gives her a credit card. She moves into his apartment. And she feels bad about it, but also not because she's got to survive and he's fine. You know, he's like safe. He doesn't ask for too much emotional intimacy from her, which is just fine with her. Like, it's fine. It's fine. But then she meets Edith, who is a lawyer who's born in Hong Kong. And 
Edith is beautiful and mysterious and aloof a little bit, but also very interested in Ava, like takes her to the theater. And that's interesting. And then Julian goes to London for work and is gone for like two months, leaving Ava with Edith. (laughs) And so Ava and Edith get closer and closer and closer. Eventually, they fall in love. And this whole time, Ava is telling Edith that Julian is her roommate. um, And that this apartment that she lives in is like both of theirs, uh, which is very obviously untrue. And then, you know, Julian's period of time at work ends and he comes back to Hong Kong and Ava has to decide what she wants to do with herself because she has Julian, who is a safe, financially available guy who doesn't ask too much from her. And he's moving to Germany and has asked her to come. And then there's Edith, who for so many reasons, including race and including being queer in Hong Kong and including just like actually wanting emotional intimacy from Ava is a much bigger risk. And Ava has to decide which which one she wants to go with, uh, what she wants to do. So I don't know that at the end of the day, this is going to like help you make a choice. But I think the author ha- very much wants Ava to go a certain way. <laughs> so maybe that will clarify things for you. Like if you get to the end of this book and you think that was a dumb choice or you think that was the exact right thing to do, that might give you some clarity as to what mm. you should maybe be doing in your own situation. So that's Exciting Times by Noisy Dolan. Alrighty. Question four is from Helen, who says, I loved A Paris Apartment by Michelle Gable. I would love to find another similar book about an unraveling of a story of a significant place or thing in a historic context. I have no preference of what time frame the story unravels in or genre. I'm looking for a compelling story that is well-researched and has real character development. Okay, Jen, what you got? I am recommending for you The Steady Running of the Hour by Justin Goh, which is very much like, here is an estate. It's got a mystery. Somebody (laughs) needs to figure out what's going on. And I think you will really dig it. I loved this book. It takes place both in sort of contemporary times and then goes back in time to the late 1920s. And the in contemporary times, we're following Tristan Campbell, who is a recent like graduate school graduate, graduate school (laughs) graduate. Well, you know what I mean. (laughs) And does not really know what he's going to do with himself. Like, he's like, uh, now what? And he gets this letter to his apartment from a London solicitor company that says, like, they think he could be the heir to this estate that has currently been, like, just languishing for lack of anyone to claim it. But they need him to prove it. And he happens to be a historian, luckily, and like digs into this. And then you get the story of Ashley Walsingham, who is an English like mountain climber. And he has left his fortune to his lover, Imogen Soames Anderson, but the estate was never claimed. And so like Tristan has to unravel all of these things, including like what was their story and like why did this estate never get claimed? And he gets like so deep into it and he travels all over the world trying to track down different pieces of information. And it's really just so well done and so atmospheric and such a fascinating sort of, like you said, unravel unraveling of what is the history of this this situation and this estate. So I think you'll really dig it. Again, that's The Steady Running of the Hour by Justin Goh. I think this is the first time I'm recommending this book and not giving a recommendation yeah. to someone who has read this book. Um, but that is A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. This takes place or opens rather, I guess, in, in 1922. Uh, it's about Count Rostov, Count Alexander Rostov, who is a gentleman and he lives in Moscow. No, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. That is actually accurate. 
He is, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, what's the word? A fancy person, <laughs> aristocrat in Russian society. He's a poet. Before the revolution, uh, the Russian revolution, he wrote pretty, like, kind of radical political poetry. And that is maybe the only reason why he wasn't just executed during the revolution. And instead, he has been put under house arrest by the Bolsheviks. And his sentence is to live in the Metropole, which is this huge, real, you can go stay in it, beautiful hotel uh, in Moscow that is across the street from the Kremlin. He has rooms there, like he keeps rooms, you know, in that way that like wealthy people in the early 1900s kept rooms in fancy hotels where all of his stuff is. But once the tribunal sentences him to house arrest forever, like this is where you are going to die, he is taken out of his fancy, fancy rooms and put into like a butler's pantry with all of his fancy books and crystal goblets and, you know, giant pieces of furniture. And in one of the giant pieces of furniture, his desk, he has hidden gold coins, like giant stacks of gold coins. And so he will, like, find a way to ease the (laughs) inconvenience of being stuck in this room. And you are just kind of with him. He has a tiny window out of which, like, pigeons visit him. And he can see out onto the, like, the square in front of the Kremlin. And, you know, you go back and forth in history, like how he ended up here, but then also forward, like as Russian history just is like happening outside of his door or outside of his tiny little window. And he can see it, but he can't participate in it or do anything about it. He just is like this witness. And the whole time people are asking him if he's going to write more poetry. And he like is kind of waiting for the inspiration, thinking about his family and all of that. So you're just in this little tiny gable with this very well-read, very um, intelligent, wealthy dude who is used to like being a moving mover and shaker right like used to being out in the world and affecting politics and affecting the direction of his country but is now stuck in this room and has to just watch it all go by so it's it's like maybe one of the most beloved books that people have like ask us Mm. for read-alikes for all the time all the time all the time so i think that you will really like this so that's a a gentleman in moscow by amor tolls and i will say it has the highest it's got like a 4.3 rating on goodreads which is maybe the highest rating i've ever seen for for a book that's that popular right Hmm. like usually when a book is that popular it starts to go down because people like to one one star bomb it anyway everybody loves it go with god (laughs) let's hear from our next sponsor Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. At She wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. 
Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. All right. Next question is from Sophia, who says, I realized I have never, to my bad memories knowledge, read a book set in Morocco. And that is where my family are originally from. I would love to read something fictional set in Morocco. Any genre is fine except horror, as I, too, have a low threshold for reading scary books. Own voices would be great, but I'm kind of open to anything that feels like I'm visiting the homeland while I'm not actually able to go. Thanks so much in advance. I picked for you Secret Son, which is the debut novel by Leila Lalami, who I think is, you know, a preeminent Moroccan writer. She has, like, lived in Morocco, Great Britain, in the U.S. She's well-traveled. She's also, like, a Pulitzer Prize finalist. And she is an amazing writer. I picked her debut just because it's the one that mostly actually takes place in Morocco. Although I think, you know, she's got others that have Moroccan characters, but I was trying to get you like in the country. And this is about a young man named Yusuf who has grown up in the slums of Casablanca. Um, He lives with his mother and he has believed up until this point that his father is dead. But he is now 19 and he finds out that not only is his father alive, but he's like a very successful sort of fancy businessman who wants him to like come be part of his world. So he leaves his mother behind and like goes to this penthouse apartment and suddenly has all these luxuries and like, you know, is trying to figure out like, how do you be how I guess I guess I'm fancy now. Um, (laughs) But then, of course, things revert and he has to go back to the streets. And gets involved in a situation with a fringe radical Islamic group. And so it's very much about, and oh, and I should, I guess I should say this takes place post 9-11. So you can sort of imagine what direction this is going in. It's, it is very much about class. It's very much about like the stratification of society in Morocco. And it's very much about like, yeah, Moroccan culture and like all of these different aspects of it. So it's, you know, it's a very immersive book. Like when you read the reviews for this one, people are like, oh, I feel like I'm there. I feel like I'm there. I will caveat this with Lelami specifically wrote this for a Western audience. So I think there's probably some like if you're super familiar, there might be like it might be a little over explainy for you. Um, But she's an amazing writer. And I thought this might fit the bill. So, again, it's Secret Son by Leila Lelami. All right. I picked The Time in Between by Maria Duenas. It's translated by Daniel Hahn. And this is a just Casablanca-ish kind of Moroccan story about a girl, a girl who's born in Madrid. She grows up in Spain in poverty. But this is before the Spanish Civil War. And she works with her mother as an apprentice in a dressmaker shop. 
while she's there, she like del- makes deliveries for this shop to very wealthy women who are having who are like ordering dresses. So she, during her delivery rounds, gets to see you know kind of how the other half lives and becomes really a, like fixated and, and obsessed with this idea of marrying out of poverty. So she dumps the guy who she's with, who like is nice to her and loves her, and instead runs off with a con artist who is on the lamb, <laughs> like you do, right? As one does, because he will give me a life of excitement and wealth and get me out of here. They end up in Morocco. You know, they cross the Strait of Gibraltar and end up in Morocco. And there is a, you know, a little bit of that. They do like live high on the hog for a while. And then he one day dumps her and leaves her pregnant, steals all her money and sticks her with the hotel bill. So she is like alone, pregnant with no money in this hotel room. And the cops won't let her leave until she pays off the bill. So she can't like go home to her mom and try to get money or get help or anything because she is being forced to stay by the police and, you know, travel across the street has been cut off because of the war anyway. So there's just like nothing for her to do. So she gets taken in by like, a you know, uh, a woman who she knows who helps her set up her own dressmaking shop. And there's like a lot of arguments about the Spanish Civil War with the people that she comes in contact with and with, you know, the other <laughs> the other war that's happening there that's coming. And the Germans start showing up in Morocco. And so she, as a dressmaker, becomes more and more well-known and famous for making these, like, very nice couture gowns. And her clientele changes to more and more upper-level German wives of the Nazis who are settling in Morocco. And so she starts to overhear. It's very, like, Hamilton. She starts to, like, overhear the secrets that they're telling each other and, like, the gossip Mm. that they you know, talk about while she's fitting them for dresses. And she overhears like she's just a Moroccan Hercules Mulligan. Like she overhears all of their plans and all of their who's coming to town and like who's coming from Germany. And she's approached by the British to spy for them. And she's like, yeah, these people suck. Let's go ahead and do that. Let's let's do that. And so it turns into this like very exciting spy novel. There's like romance. There's just a little bit of everything. It's pretty long. It's like 600 pages, but you will speed through it because it's such an adventure and she is such a character like just well i can't say that ovaries of steel is <laughs> the, the thing i'm gonna say instead because you can say one and not the other because apple doesn't make any sense okay so that's the time in between by maria duenas translated by daniel Hahn. all right our next question is from marie who says i'm working on putting together my list for the read harder challenge and i'm stuck on prompt number 17 an own voices ya book with a black protagonist that is not about black pain most of the books I've seen recommended for this prompt use romance as a main plot point, but as someone who's, who identifies as Arrow Ace, I'd like to read about teenagers finding joy in their friendships rather than romantic relationships. Do you have any recommendations for books to fit this prompt that center friendship? All right, Jen, what you got? Well, yeah, same. <laughs> I, yeah, this was tough. There are, are not a lot of books about Black teenagers having fun that are not also about romance. This was like a really hard thing to do. And I honestly, Marie, I'm so sorry. I couldn't even find you a friendship one. I found you a family one. So, you know, I tried. Listen, I tried. Here's what we've got. My pick for you is Dear Haiti, Love Elaine by Micah and Maritza Mulite. And this is, I I think this book is lovely, by the way. Uh, It is co-written by sisters, and it is an epistolary novel in that it's like, it's letters, it's articles, it's emails, it's diary entries. Uh, So it's a really fun, I mean, I think it's fun. I love this kind of format. It's a really fun format. 
for this story. And it is about a young woman named Elaine, who you might have guessed from the title, goes to Haiti. Surprise! (laughs) Her family is, uh, she's Haitian-American. They live in Miami. And she gets in, like, huge trouble at school and ends up having to do basically, like, community service in the form of this spring volunteer immersion project. So she is sent uh, to Haiti with her mom to, you know, do volunteer work. And her mom has her own reasons for wanting to go to Haiti. And so while she's there, you know, in addition to like doing this volunteer work, she's also really experiencing Haiti for the first time and like learning more about her family who are there and also, you know, having this like complicated sort of fraught relationship with her mother because there's this thing that her mother wants to talk to her about, but like kind of doesn't know how to do it. So it is very much, you know, a a, like mother daughter, all that complicated, like, I love you, but you push my buttons constantly. Constantly and like, oh, I can't stand to be in the same room as you, but like, oh, I don't have much of a choice right now. You know, that sort of. But she's also, you know, she's like, she is having fun. It is a very fun read. And like, it's got a lot of good family feels to it. So I know it's not exactly what you asked for, but I think you might enjoy it. So it might be worth a try. Again, that's Dear Haiti, Love Elaine by Maika and Maritza Mulite. All right. I just impossible. Like just (laughs) I had such trouble with this. I went to the contributors and I got a recommendation for who put this song on by Morgan Parker, which was recommended by Jess Pride, who is the host, one of the hosts of our romance podcast. So if you like romance, go check that out. And it's called One in Romance. That's probably helpful. And so this is about a a 70 year old named Morgan, just using the author's own name there. I wonder if this is semi-autobiographical, who grows up in Southern California in a very white, very conservative town. And so she is pretty used to being like the only black person, not just the only black person, but the only person who is not white in every space. Um, She is also depressed and has anxiety and spends a lot of time listening to like My Chemical Romance in a very relatable kind of way. The book takes place in 2008. So just go back to that musical moment in your head. And that's the the (laughs) entire the soundtrack is actually pretty great. And so the book is not so the way that Jess recommended this to me, because you know, we're looking for books that aren't about black pain. And this is not about black trauma. Like this is not necessarily a book about things that she's experiencing only because she is black. However, that's not a part of her identity that's like removed from the book, right? So she has depression and anxiety. And most of the book is about her coming to terms with that. But it is exacerbated in a lot of ways by being the only black person in a lot of spaces. So it's not like completely sunny as as a book, especially, you know, considering she is dealing with mental health issues. And she just feels very, not just othered because of her race, but also because like, you know, it's Southern California, everyone's really Republican and like toxically positive all the time. And she's just like sad and wants to listen to her emo music and doesn't understand why nobody under, nobody else sees the world the way that she does, you know? And so she has to like make friends, find her found family of like other outcasts who are going to help her come to terms with who she is and get some help with that. All while like looking through Adelia's catalog because yeah. what we did, right? <laughs> oh, and since it's set in 2008, there, you know, Obama is running for election. And so that is like a big inspiration point for her in the book. She goes off researching other uh, historical figures from African-American history. And that's like a big through line in the book. But, you know, I mean, I'm here for the Delia's catalog. I just got to say. Yeah. So that's Who Put This Song On by Morgan Parker. 
Oh, my God. Amanda, now I'm going to be thinking about Delia's catalogs all day. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, Lord. Like, I, I mean, I feel like 2008 is actually kind of late for a Delia's catalog. It is. It is. Yeah. I was out of college by then and didn't realize Delia's was still happening. But apparently. I know, right? It was. <laughs> I had this pair. I'm so sorry. This is. I Now I cannot not share this. I do it. This do it. Do it. <laughs> of like flannel pajama pants that I got from a Delia's catalog that had like fireflies on them that glowed in the dark. And I wore those to every morning class my freshman year of college <laughs> that I had. Thanks, Which Delia's. was like 2000 to date myself. So yeah. Okay. All right. Big Delia's feelings is now this. Now this title of this episode <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right our last question is from magical horse girl uh, <laughs> who says the short version of this question is do you have any read alikes for the scorpio races to go into a smidge more detail, as a kid, I was obsessed with horse books. The Black Stallion, Misty of Shinkatigue, etc. As an adult, I read mostly fantasy. The Scorpio Races is a horse book like something Walter Farley would write, only most of the horses are water monster horses akin to Kelpies. It's a fantasy horse book. My mind exploded. I'm seeking something similar. I don't care about the setting, real world with magic versus secondary world, etc. But I do want it to feel like a horse book, not just a book that happens to have horses in it. Also, magical horses are great. Monster horses are welcome, but no talking horses, please. Can't Listen, this question <laughs> cracks me up. It's amazing. Also, <laughs> I deeply sympathize. I, too, was a magical horse girl mm. in my youth. And <laughs> mm -hmm, Amanda, mm -hmm. what did you pick for this one? <laughs> um, I picked A Fire and Stars by Audrey Colthurst, which is a very traditional feeling fantasy YA novel like there are castles and kingdoms and magic and all of that um, except it's like super gay and there are a lot of horses just so many horses so um, Princess Denalia is the main character she has been betrothed to the Prince of Menaria which is like the neighboring kingdom um, since she was a child and she takes this very seriously like she's studied the you know what it, cultural norms of this kingdom that she's marrying into she's studied its geography its government its history like she wants to be a good queen for these people who she is going to be responsible for. So she takes that super seriously. But she has a secret. She has a gift for fire magic, which um, is totally forbidden in, in this kingdom that she's marrying into. And so she's tried to control it. But the other uh, kind of caveat here is that she can't. <laughs> she has like no control. Whenever she has a big emotion, just stuff catches on fire. It's inconvenient, right? Because like now I'm going to be beheaded. Great. And uh, when I've tried so hard to be so good, you know, but just fire all the time. And so she's got to figure out how to get a hold of it because she's in a very stressful situation. She's going to this new kingdom um, to get married to like a guy she's met maybe once in life. And while she's there, she has to learn to ride Manaria's war horses because it's part of the whole ceremony. Like it's part of the whole thing is these horses. And she's terrified of horses, which is great. And her teacher is Princess Amaranthine, who is called Mare, uh, which is a horse joke for those of you who don't know, <laughs> and is the sister of the the man that she's intended to marry. So like the princess of, you know, the prince who's going to be the king. Uh, and so they have all of these lessons trying to get her to learn how to ride these horses. And the, while this is going on, they're becoming closer as friends. And then an assassination kind of rocks the kingdom and Mare and Denna join forces together to try and solve this mystery, like figure out who is trying to harm the royal family. And in doing so, they become closer and closer and closer, which is very inconvenient. And also the horse shenanigans continue. So it's it's a horse book in in is like 
the the horsing the horsing around oh my gosh what a joke <laughs> yes that was excellent the the horse stuff that they have to do learning how to ride the horses care for them it's a big part of the culture is really the backdrop for this unfolding romance and political intrigue so that's a fire and stars by audrey colthurst amazing you killed it <laughs> <laughs> thank you horse puns accomplished okay <laughs> i picked the hero in the crown by robin mckinley which is an oldie but a goodie i have huge love for there is it is like a singular horse in this book it is it is a girl and her horse is what this book is and talat is the name of the horse because that you need to know that also you know it's about a young woman named Erin who lives in this sort of like medieval magical kingdom and she is the daughter of the king, so she's a princess, but everything is very complicated. Her mother was this sort of outlander witch woman who people hmm. claim ensorcelled the king into marrying her. And then, you know, when she had a girl, like the story goes that she just like gave up on life and died, which, you know, will mess with your head as mm-hmm. a kid. Uh, so, so... Erin is a very unsatisfactory princess. She's like all elbows and knees. She doesn't really fit in in court. People are mean to her. Like they're always teasing her about her heritage. It's like, you know, hashtag complicated. And uh, at a certain point, she like does this thing on a dare that gets her really, really, really sick. And as part of her recovery, they're like trying to get her to, you know, move around outside. But she really can't walk unsupported. And she so she she has some AIDS. She's a cane and she's out in like the fields and her father's old war horse is out there, too. He's like retired and is super cranky and like goes around biting everybody because he just hates everything and everyone. Relatable. (laughs) Relatable. Super relatable. And so they make friends. And then it's everything is amazing forever. No, just kidding. They they end up going on this big quest and there's really intense like moments of proving yourself. But it's like at its heart, it really is a lovely story of a girl and a horse like who are misfits and sort of outcast by everybody else and have to deal with, you know, physical limitations, finding each other and like making it work as a team. And it like gives me all of the feelings. I will say that this is actually apparently I did not find this out for like years. It's actually book two in the Daymar series by Robin McKinley. The first one is called The Blue Sword. I actually but it's a prequel. And I read this one first and then I read The Blue Sword, which has a ton of horses in it as well. So You can read them in whichever order you want, either publication order or backwards like I did. Anyway, lots of horses. Enjoy. This has been The Hero and the Crown by Robin McKinley. And that is our show. (laughs) Woohoo! Thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink. Thank you all for listening. You can find more Rex at bookriot.com and find all of our other podcasts, including the romance one I mentioned earlier, (laughs) at bookriot.com slash listen. Please go leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier for others to find. Thank you to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where is Jen? I am actually weirdly currently on everything. Well, not everything, but a lot of things right now. So you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Jen IRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And you can find me on Instagram as I am Jen IRL because the other one was already taken. And that is my story. Okay. (laughs) We will talk to you all next week.